The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Vinny Politan, and welcome to another edition of the Court TV Podcast, which this week is an audio version of our original true crime show, Someone They Knew with Tamron Hall. This week, we'll tell the story of Lita McClinton, a beloved woman from a prominent Atlanta family who was discovered shot to death in the doorway of her own home with a box of pink roses next to her. Who sent this deadly delivery, and why did it take nearly two decades to bring the person ultimately responsible for her death to justice? Here, featuring interviews with Atlanta news anchor Carmen Burns, journalist Laura Rosa, and John Lang of the Georgia Bureau of Investigations is Someone They Knew with Tamron Hall, Deadly Delivery. This is the Court TV Podcast. At that time, Palm Beach was very closed to people of color. Palm Beach society did not accept Lita Sullivan, period. There's no reason that Lita should have become a victim of a violent crime of this manner. And nothing in her background would have, would have made her a victim. The killer brought flowers. It was a trick. It was a trick. She was unarmed and defenseless. In the early morning hours of January 16, 1987, in an upscale community of Atlanta, Georgia, a beautiful 35-year-old woman named Lita McClinton was murdered. It was a cold-blooded attack that shocked the whole city. Lita came from a prominent family, a family that never had a brush with the law. So her untimely death was a mystery from the start. I came to know Lita in high school because we hung out with some of the same people and went to a lot of the same parties. We were really pretty good friends. The McClintons were very well known. They were pretty much pillars in, in the black community. The upscale world in Atlanta was divided at the time that she and I grew up. There was a white upscale and then there was the African-American upscale community. James Sullivan's early life was in Boston. I think he grew up in the south side of Boston, so it wasn't the Brahmin that he pretended to be. James Sullivan came from not much money, but his uncle wound up leaving him a lot of money in the liquor business, but no one really knew that much about him in, in our world. Lita and Jim met at Lenox Mall. She was working at one of the stores, and one thing led to another, and they just hit it off, and. That was, that was it, it was love. Friends and family of Lita were very suspicious of how he got his money, where he came from, how he got where he was, and what his plans were. James and Lita Sullivan, when they moved to Palm Beach, were just a new couple on the island who happened to buy an oceanfront mansion. Really not all that unusual. His 
the money he did have um, from his uncle's uh, distillery didn't make him ultra rich. It sort of made him, you know, lower level rich people on Palm Beach. As far as Palm Beach standards, he was not a, a very wealthy person. I mean, I think he had a net worth of five or six million dollars. That's spitting the ocean down there. There's old money down there, and he, he wasn't old money. It was new money, newfound money. When he moved to Palm Beach, James Sullivan said that he was um, a scion of the Hearst Publishing family. Pretty big. Not true, but, you know, he did have newspaper in his blood. Turns out his father had been a typesetter for a newspaper in Boston. So he came down with his, with his lies <clears throat> and his story all, and a few million dollars. But that was not enough to get him to where he wanted to be. Jim Sullivan wanted to be Palm Beach elite. He tried so many different ways to get an entree into the Palm Beach society. Lita did not fit into that society, and she was holding him back from doing the things that he wanted to do. He wanted to be accepted. He was a blue-collar guy, and he was rubbing elbows with the white-collar people, the rich and famous people, uh, a lot of, lot of big-name players down there, and, uh, and he wanted to be part of that crowd. He just didn't have the credentials. At that time, Palm Beach was very closed to people of color. Lita was an, a, an albatross around Jim Sullivan's neck in that regard. He thought that she was going to be the belle of the ball, but Palm Beach society did not accept Lita Sullivan, period. Lita Sullivan did not like Palm Beach, and James Sullivan was not paying a lot of attention to her. He had already moved on, it seems to me. He had already tried, you know, trying to climb his way up the Palm Beach ladder. She wasn't interested in that. She went back home to Atlanta. Lita and Jim's marriage broke up because Lita was tired of the demands that he put on her to be involved in that society when she was rebuffed at every turn. And when she moved back to Atlanta, that was it. Jim Sullivan wanted the benefit of Florida law in divorces. And in Atlanta, a woman typically will get 50% or more of someone's estate. Jim was not going to have that at all. He would lose half of the money that he had. He would have lost money, probably, which would have left him uh, well out of Palm Beach society. His dreams of being a rich and famous Palm Beacher would have blown up in smoke. So and the divorce began, and that was the beginning of the end. After trying and failing to make a life for herself in Palm Beach, Florida, Lita Sullivan decides to leave her husband James and move back to her hometown of Atlanta. She'd done all she could to salvage her marriage, but James had chosen his pursuit of status over their future as a couple. Now estranged from her husband, Lita decides to make the preemptive move of filing for divorce in Georgia which will give her a distinct advantage in the proceedings. Lita Sullivan was residing in Atlanta, Georgia. She answered a doorbell ring. There was a flower delivery person there. As she opened the door, the person handed her a box of uh, roses and then at the same time produced a nine millimeter handgun and shot and killed her in the foyer of her home. I was anchoring the news that day, and 
During one of our commercial breaks, the sports anchor came into the studio and he said, didn't you know Lita McClinton? I said, yes. And he said, she was just killed in her apartment. And I was flabbergasted. I was shocked. I was totally shocked. We don't know this individual. He did not know our daughter. Uh, he, we feel, is just one piece of the total puzzle. Initially, investigators were really struck by the callous way in which Lita was murdered. You know, right in the foyer of your own home in a very wealthy part of Atlanta, uh, early in the morning um, with a gunshot wound to the head. The crime scene was, was, was relatively pristine. Just, the, you know, the box of roses had a bullet hole in it. They were laying on the floor in there. Uh, obviously, she was laying on the floor there, and then one of the rounds missed its target and hit 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 a wall back there, but not much to it. And the, and the gunman immediately left. There was not uh, a theft. There was not an assault, which to me said it was deliberately intended to take her life. There's no reason that Lita should have become a victim of a violent crime of this manner, and uh, nothing in her background that we ever saw would have, would have made her a victim. I initially didn't know what to think. There had not been any shootings or anything going on in that area at all. It was a very safe area in Buckhead. I think it's, it's obvious to anybody that sees that, just any layperson would see that there is, there's a motive behind this. That's not, that's not a dope deal gone bad. It's a contract killing. You know, there were some witnesses, one witness in particular that lived next door to her, saw the delivery person going up to her door, and his eyes met with the delivery person, the gunman, and he just thought that there was there was something sinister about this guy. Just moments later, he heard the, heard the gunshots. All arrows pointed to James Sullivan having something to do with this even though he was, you know, 1,200 miles away. Jim Sullivan became a suspect by the mere fact that they were going through a contentious divorce. Early on in the investigation, we learned that there was a phone call placed from a Howard Johnson's motel in Atlanta to Sullivan's residence in Palm Beach, prior, just prior to the murder. Then the day of the murder, there was a phone call placed from a coin phone on I-85 shortly after the murder. It was at a rest stop, and that call went to, to Sullivan residence. Today, millionaire James Sullivan spoke for himself. I want everyone listening to this to know that I am absolutely innocent. I had nothing to do with Lita's death. Suki Sullivan did start out as James Sullivan's mistress. He was seeing her at the time Lita moved back to Atlanta. And within a year of Lita's death, Suki and James married. She didn't last long at Palm Beach. Jim Sullivan was going through a divorce with Suki Sullivan, and obviously there were some arguments uh, that they had, and, and, and Suki testified to it that uh, he told her that he would have her killed like he did Lita. She 
took that warning seriously and was, was in fear of her life ever since then. Jim Sullivan was, was arrested in Atlanta for the uh, uh, murder of, of Lita, and it was brought into federal court. Well, there was tons of evidence of motive in that case, you know, millions and millions of dollars at stake. And then there were these outrageous circumstances of phone calls that were made from Atlanta almost immediately preceding and then right after the shooting, 27 minutes after the shooting, exactly 27 minutes away from the house driving up I-85 to Swanee, someone made a collect phone call from a payphone back to Jim's house. And the government's like, oh, of course, it was the hitman. That's the whole case. One of the most frustrating things was he, he knew that he was associated with it. You knew he had something to do with it, and he was getting away with it. For more Court TV, watch it on cable, over the air, Roku, or go to CourtTV.com and stream live gavel-to-gavel -gavel coverage. Catch up on the big moments from our current cases and relive some of Court TV's most historic trials. Court TV, your front row seat to justice. There was only one person in the world who had a motive to kill Lita. That was her husband, James, who was desperate to hang on to his multi-million dollar fortune and whatever status he had among the Palm Beach elite. After being arrested and charged by the federal government with the murder of his wife, prosecutors will have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he ordered a hitman to kill Lita. Jim Sullivan uh, was originally charged in federal court in 1992 and charged with murder for hire and hired the law firm where at the time I was the young lawyer on the case. My only job was to say there wasn't enough evidence to connect. That was my job. I said, but what were those phone calls? For all we know, someone was calling him and threatening him. If you don't send money, we're gonna kill your wife. Or someone was calling and Jim was saying, don't do it, don't do it. Whatever you do, don't kill my wife. Who here can say beyond a reasonable doubt what Jim was saying on the phone? Judge Shub said, okay, I'm gonna give some thought to this. And then we took a break. Um, it was Friday. We came back Monday and he said, I agree with Mr. Samuel, all charges are dismissed. We walked out of the courtroom, that was it. Case was over, that was 1992. I've had cases before where, where you're, you know they committed the crime, but you just can't quite, quite bring, a, bring them over the finish line. One of the most frustrating things with, with the Sullivan case was he, he knew that he was associated with it. You knew he had something to do with it, and he was getting away with it. It was extremely difficult to know that Jim Sullivan slipped through the federal charges. At every turn, it seemed like Jim Sullivan was like the Teflon Don. He could not be touched. The Jim Sullivan story did not end. He moved back to Florida, and he was sued by the family. The family of Lita Sullivan got a multi-million dollar verdict. Jury believed he did it. So suddenly, Jim has a multi-million dollar debt. Jim likes money, so Jim fled, and he moved to Costa Rica. Lita's parents were contacted by a television program, um, Dextra. As it turned out, it was a, it was a good move. After the extra show, a lady in Texas, uh, Belinda Trahan, who had been the uh, girlfriend of Tony Harwood, who had 
turns out to be the, the killer in this matter. They saw the production and contacted the authorities. Belinda Trahan told a friend of hers at this law firm where they worked, and that person told the lawyer that she worked for that she was going to meet this guy, and he was suspected of killing a, killing a woman and delivering her some flowers. That attorney mentioned it to his wife, and his wife said, I saw that show. That's true. She knows what she's talking about. That really did happen. So he, the attorney, reached out to an attorney friend who knew a GBI agent. So we started the ball rolling, and we went to Texas and interviewed Belinda Trahan. She provided details that only a person associated with the crime would know. We got an arrest warrant for Tony Harwood and knocked on his door. First thing he said was, I've been waiting for you boys for a long time. I went, wow, that's pretty good. Put him in the car, took him to the police station, and he confessed to the crime. He would not ever say that he was the gunman. He just said he was there. He drove the getaway car, uh, broke down crying, and, uh, and then told us that, that Jim Sullivan's the one that hired him and, and paid him the $25,000 uh, for the murder. Based on that evidence, we uh, secured an arrest warrant for Jim Sullivan shortly thereafter. that Jim Sullivan was finally indicted for murder was a wonderful day. It really was because it was long overdue that he would finally be brought to justice for his involvement in the death of his wife, Lita. In 1999 or 2000, I get a phone call from Paul Howard, who's the DA in Fulton County. He says, Don, we'd like Jim Sullivan to turn himself in. Turn himself in for what? We found the hitman. The truck driver got the deal of the century by pleading guilty to voluntary manslaughter in a 20-year sentence and avoided a potential death penalty in exchange for his testimony against Lita Sullivan's millionaire husband. I called Jim and I said, so you've been indicted, charged with murder, and they want you to come back. And, and he said to me, I'll come back, but I'd like a bond. You know, if he'll agree to a bond, I'll come back. I called Paul Howard back and I said, well, Paul, why don't you just agree on a bond? and then he'll come back. And Paul Howard said, that sounds like a great idea, except for one thing. I'm gonna be seeking the death penalty. I said, oh, I'll let Jim know. The district attorney told his attorneys to have him surrender. Okay, well, what do you think happened? I said, Jim, um, I did make the request that um, bond be set, in which case he would come back and face the charges. And he told me that he was gonna be uh, seeking the death penalty. Click. He ran. Anybody could have seen that coming. He instantly went to the FBI's most wanted list. They tracked him to Venezuela, to Costa Rica. It became an international manhunt. There were like Jim Sullivan sightings all over the place. But I do remember there was one in Las Vegas. I contacted the FBI. They sent a lead out there, and it was, was un, unfounded. Just you name it, and there was Jim somewhere. But he was always one step ahead. And it was because of his funds that he was able to, to stay on the lam for so long. I didn't hear from Jim again for at least two years. He literally took a car over the mountains in Costa Rica into Panama. We now know. 
got on a plane and flew ultimately to Thailand, which is where he lived for the next couple of years. It wasn't until sometime in 98 that this, this case was featured on America's Most Wanted. And you, you know, you sit there and you wait for phone calls. They put it on live and then people call in if they have any tips or anything like that. Jim Sullivan was seen by an American who recognized him from America's Most Wanted. Uh, and he was arrested by Thai authorities uh, because of an outstanding fugitive warrant. When I read that the law had finally caught up with James Sullivan and that he had been in Thailand hiding out where he had married a fourth time, I remember thinking, oh my god, he was still free? It's like looking at the calendar all this time, he was still free? He had slipped through the hands of justice for that long? All of the publicity that had surrounded this case for so long finally came to fruition. It finally brought him to justice. Someone recognized him, and they caught him. On July 2nd, 2002, over 15 years after Lita's death, James Sullivan has finally been charged with her murder. For the family and friends of Lita, it is a welcome relief that is long overdue. For Fulton County prosecutors, it is a chance to remind James Sullivan that no one is above the law. On the morning of January 16th, 1987, Lito McClinton Sullivan opened her door to a hitman carrying flowers. That morning, she greeted her killer with good morning as she opened the door. And good morning was the last thing that Lita ever said. For us, the strategy was to tell a chronological story to the jurors that would educate them, it would inform them, and ultimately persuade them uh, that Sullivan was, in fact, the person responsible. Jim Sullivan killed his wife. The state is going to prove it. We ask that you find him guilty at the close of all this evidence and end 19 years of waiting for her family. Thank you. This trial was extremely important. Quite naturally, it was very important to the McClinton family uh, to seek justice and obtain some accountability from James Sullivan, who had evaded uh, law enforcement and uh, authorities for years uh, with his lies and manipulations. Jim Sullivan did not murder Lisa. He did not murder his wife. He didn't hire anybody to murder his wife. The last thing in the world Jim Sullivan wanted 1987 was for Lita Sullivan to be murdered. Despite the efforts of the United States Attorney's Office, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, the GBI, the North Carolina Police, the FBI, choose your agency that's been involved in this. Choose your prosecutor's office. There's not one shred of evidence that Mr. Sullivan ever paid anybody anything. James Sullivan showed no signs of grief in the immediate aftermath of Lita's murder. Sullivan did try to throw a lot of uh, theories out there that would make uh, him look a little less culpable. So he tried to sully Lita's name, by, you know, hinting about drug involvement, and maybe it was something like that. He is not guilty. He is not guilty of the charges. I ask you to return a verdict 
acting purposely. There were three witnesses that I would put into a category of most compelling. One, quite naturally, would be Tony Harwood, who actually gave a lot of the details that previously had been unknown about how this whole uh, horrible crime was planned from the beginning. Two was an attorney here in Atlanta who, at the time of Lita's death, was her next-door neighbor. And the third most compelling witness, I would say, I think Belinda Trahan. Trahan, at the time, was uh, Tony Harwood's longtime girlfriend. Ms. Trahan, do you know an individual by the name of Philip Anthony Harwood? Yes, I do. What did you call him? Tony. How do you know Tony? We were boyfriend and girlfriend. Tony Harwood, for uh, the purposes of this case, proved to be a very important um, part uh, once he was taken into custody. Uh, by the GBI and interviewed, he told them that he, in fact, did have a relationship with James Sullivan. Can you tell the jurors how it is that you came to have a conversation with Mr. Sullivan about his wife, Lita? The best I can remember, Mr. Sullivan told me that he was having problems with his soon-to-be ex-wife. He told me that she was probably going to take him for everything he had. Tony Harwood traveled delivering furniture and such, and he delivered some furniture to James Sullivan's house from Macon, Georgia, to Palm Beach. And at that time, that's when Sullivan approached him about having Lita taken care of. Those were his words. He asked me if I knew anybody that could possibly take care of his problem. Uh, we kept talking, and, you know, he was just more or less just feeling me out, I guess. When did you think Mr. Sullivan wasn't joking anymore? Objection, leading and suggesting. Oh, allow it. Go ahead. When did I think he wasn't joking anymore? When I received $12,500 in the mail? What do you mean when you say take care of her? Well, uh, you know, it can be looked at a lot of different ways. Take care of her, you know, but I assumed, and I, and I don't like to assume anything, but I assumed that uh, he meant to kill her. Melinda tells us that she didn't know that Lita had actually been killed because she didn't read any, any news accounts of it or anything. The only thing she relied on is what Tony Harwood told her. He told me that uh, some white guy who wanted to take out his uh, black wife because she was going to divorce him and uh, he was he didn't want her to have anything. What did you say to Tony when he told you this? I didn't believe. I didn't believe it. Why not? I've been with him for three years. Uh, over three years, I mean... I figured he met someone because we were on the outs. Okay. When you say you figured he met someone, are you talking about another woman? Yes. Did there come a time when Tony left North Carolina and told you that he was going to take care of the job that the white guy in Florida asked him to take care of? 
Yes. Did he tell you where he was going? What state? Georgia. Leeton told me, uh, we went upstairs in the kitchen, and she told me that uh, someone had knocked on her door. Uh, well, she said, bammed on her door very, very loudly a <laughs> couple of nights before. And I said, oh, baby, don't answer your door. And she says, I won't. Harwood says he's going down to Atlanta to take care of this problem for this guy. When Harwood came back, he said, we tried to get her to come to the door, and she wouldn't come to the door. She said, well, silly, why don't you send her some flowers? Every, every woman would like to get flowers. I never spoke to her I was reading, and then uh, there were two shots. As soon as I heard them, I think I moved instantaneously because I figured that I was the only eyewitness. Follow Court TV live over the air, uninterrupted. If you're watching television with an antenna, just rescan your channels now to add Court TV. And go to CourtTV.com to see the exact channel position and more ways to watch Court TV in your area. Although James Sullivan had every reason in the world to murder his wife, Lita, authorities were not able to produce any hard evidence against him for the crime, which allowed him to evade punishment for almost two decades. Now attorneys for the Fulton County Prosecutor's Office will have to rely on the testimony of a hitman and his ex-girlfriend in order to convince the jury of Sullivan's guilt. the statement to take flowers to the woman to get her to answer the door. Did you in any way mean for that to be a suggestion as to how to get the job accomplished? No, not at all. After that conversation, did there come a time when Tony left again to take a trip? Yes, he did. Do you know where he was going? Georgia. For my Undercover experience working narcotics. Recordings were everything. When I met with Belinda in Texas, I said, can you, you get him on the phone and can you tell him that uh, you saw this television show and the, um, the composite that they had on there, that it looks like you? So we recorded. And she called him and said, Tony, I saw this television show about that thing you told me about in, in 1987. Um, it's real. There's the flowers, everything is real. And they have an etching of you that looks looks just like you. And then he responds back, well, that couldn't be, uh, I wasn't there, there were some other people there. Now, tell the jurors, who is John? John is the man that uh, killed Leila Sullivan. John's a real person? Yes, sir. What kind of occupation does John have? I don't know now, but at the time he was, uh, he worked in a uh, topless bar. Were you ever able to identify a general bartender? No. To this day, Agent Lang, do you know who was with Tony Harwood when he came to murder Lita Sullivan? No, I don't. Jim Sullivan gave Tony Harwood the initial down payment of $12,500. So he, he, you know, that's when he got the ball rolling and he, he said that, um, 
he and a, a guy, they called him John, and then they also referred to him as the bartender. Um, we were never able to find a John or a bartender um, that Tony Harwood associated with. Tell the jurors what happened after you and John arrived in Atlanta about 7 or 7.30 on January the 16th of 1987. Uh, got the flowers and got back to the car and he drove down the street, parked. He took the flowers and went, and went to the condo. Then I heard two shots. Here he come running back. I drove off. Tell the Gerards what you saw when you came outside and put your trash out. All right, well, as I mentioned, I came out and uh, I looked out and there was a, uh, there was a guy standing on Lita's porch. Um, and I sort of made note of him because it's 8.15 in the morning, why is somebody standing on Lita's porch? And, uh, you know, something was just telling me, don't mess with this guy, don't go any closer to him. So I turned around and uh, he turned around as well. And um, can you tell the Gerards uh, what is the next thing that happened? Well, the next thing, uh, the next thing that happened was, uh, as I said, I heard the voice I was reading, and then uh, there were two shots. I think I moved instantaneously because, you know, I just locked eyes with this guy a minute before or whatever it was, and I figured that I was the only eyewitness. And so why wouldn't you want to get me as well? So I immediately dropped the, dropped the newspaper and then crouched down right behind this, this wall here. Can you give the jury some idea who most resembles the person you saw with the flower box that morning? This. Would it surprise you to know that it is Philip Anthony Hart? Objection, testimony, sustained of the 300 million individuals that live in this country, what is the likelihood that a person who was identified by Robert Christensen as being a hitman is the same person who delivered James Sullivan's furniture to him in West Palm Beach, Florida? When he came home from that trip, of course, again, then I said, well, did you have a good time? And he said, uh, that the job was done. Was there a time that Tony told you he could prove it to you? He told me, let's go for a ride. She, she was present when Sullivan um, paid Tony Harwood the rest of the money for the, for the contract killing. It was in a little, like maybe a Denny's restaurant somewhere near Wildwood, Florida, somewhere in that vicinity. And she went with Tony down there because she didn't, she just still didn't believe everything. He walked up to the booth and looked at me. Well, actually, it was on this side. Let me get it right. He walked up to the booth, and he let me drag my eyes. I made eye contact with him, and then he turned to Tony, and he said, what is she doing? He said what? What is she doing? And did he say it in a tone like that? Yes, he was very angry. She met Sullivan in there, and he said something, well, what's she doing here? And he said, that's my girlfriend. And and uh, but she was there and present when the money transferred. He wasn't there very long, and then uh, pushed the paper across the table like this. Did you actually see him push the paper across the table that's as when, you were looking at that's it? That's when I turned and looked at the paper and the well manicured can. 
and then Tommy put his name on it and took it from there. And the other guy pulled his hand back. If you were to see that person again, would you be able to identify? Most definitely. He has destroyed many lives. If you would, Miss Trahan, I'd like for you to look around this courtroom and tell me if you see the person that you saw in that restaurant back in 1987. Yes, I do. Please, point him out. It's right there. He can't even make eye contact. He's wearing glasses, white gray hair, blue suit. Are zones folded or not? Folded. Your Honor, may the record reflect the witness has identified the defendant, James Sullivan. Well, after all these years, she was able to pick Sullivan out as being the person that um, um, paid Tony Harwood the money, which is really, really significant. Did you say anything to Mr. Sullivan at the time he gave you the money? Do you remember saying anything to him? I told him that I didn't kill his wife. So what about the money? What about it? Why did you go to pick it up if you didn't have anything to do with it? I was scared. I mean, what's he going to think if I don't take the last part of the money? What were you scared of? Him. Why? He paid me to have somebody kill his wife. What do you, I mean, you don't think he'd want to take care of loose ends? After almost two decades of heartbreak, frustration, and anger, the family and friends of Lita Sullivan have finally come to the end of a very long and grueling chapter of their lives. The only question now is whether Clint Rucker and his prosecution team have built enough of a compelling case to convince the jurors of James Sullivan's culpability in Lita's murder. Mr. Rucker said to you today, you can trust Tony Harwood to some extent. You can trust him. You remember my opening statement? It wasn't all that long ago. And how I described Tony Harwood to you? I think I described him as a little bit like a snowflake. Remember? No two versions are ever the same. I should have said a maniacal, pathological, sociopath murderer. That would have been a little more accurate than a snowflake, I suppose. I've tried felony cases. I've given a lot of closing arguments. And when you stand up to give a closing argument in a death penalty case, and what you say to these people could mean literally, obviously, literally, life or death for your client, it is a different, different feeling. Let me tell you one very simple formula. If you don't have enough and you add zero, you don't have enough. It's that simple. In the preparation of the closing argument, I thought it was very important to tell, tell a very compelling story and tell it in a way that they could very clearly see that it really only came down to a couple of really critical pieces of evidence. I actually went to a hardware store and I was able to obtain a wireless doorbell that I brought into the courtroom before anyone arrived that morning of the closing and uh, positioned it in the courtroom uh, so that I could um, operate it at the appropriate time. You see, this doorbell, although it's used by me to get your attention, 
was used for a different purpose on January the 16th of 1987. It was used to lure Lita to the door. It's the reason why the killer brought flowers. It was a trick. It was a trick. She was unarmed and defenseless. Ernest Hemingway had written For Whom the Bell Tolls, and uh, the very famous quote uh, from the novel is, and therefore never sin to know for whom the bell tolls. For whom the bell tolls. I wanted to find a very dramatic way to convey to the jurors a sense of the fear that Lita uh, must have been feeling at the time that she confronted Tony Harwood. Tell him that it tolls for thee, for you, for you. I firmly believe that between Tony Harwood testifying and following the trail of him being on the lam for so long that there was no way that this jury was not going to find him guilty. But I have served on juries before, and I know that it, it's 12 different minds that think about these things. So who knows what's going to happen? You've reached a verdict. Give the verdict form to Sergeant Ballard, please. Count one, malice murder. We, the jury, find the defendant, James Vincent Sullivan, guilty of malice, malice murder. That's completely inappropriate. Go ahead. Count two, felony murder. We, the jury, find the defendant, James Vincent Sullivan, guilty of felony murder. Thank you, ma'am. It is extremely satisfying to be able to get a verdict I thought that was very important after 19 years, not only for the family, but for the community itself. Palm Beach had turned away from James Sullivan when he was ultimately extradited from Thailand to Georgia to face the murder trial and convicted. There wasn't a lot of surprise. I mean, it was still a lot of salacious details were all brought up again, because many years had passed. I mean, he'd been on the lam for a long time. And so Palm Beach had moved on. Mr. Sullivan, on count one, uh, you are sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Count two, I think the state is correct, merges in count one. Jim Sullivan was sentenced to life without parole in the Georgia prison system. He was immediately sent to Reidsville as the highest maximum security prison down there, the same prison that Harwood was in at the same time. All of my memories of Lita are wonderful, great memories. You have to hold on to those memories of the good times in order to not think about the horrible outcomes. It was just a tragedy 
that such a beautiful person was lost for no reason but money. In exchange for his testimony against James Sullivan, Tony Harwood struck a deal with the state of Georgia that would limit his sentence to 20 years. He was released from prison in May of 2018 after serving his full term. James Sullivan is currently serving out his life sentence in the Floyd County Correctional Institution. I'm Tamron Hall. Thank you for watching Someone They Knew. If you're interested in seeing Court TV's gavel-to-gavel -gavel coverage of the James Sullivan murder trial, you can watch it in the Trials on Demand section of our website, courttv.com. And if you're interested in seeing episodes of Someone They Knew with Tamron Hall, you can see it every weeknight at 7 p.m. on Court TV with new episodes premiering every Sunday at 9 p.m. I'm Vinny Politan. Thanks again for downloading. And as always, please don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.